I think we're all squared away with the start. I do want to remind everybody who is on Skype that we do record these on some Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you once and for who you are, we thank you for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for providing us with everything that we need. We thank you, Father, that you have paired a death. We thank you for all the people in the body of Christ. We thank you that we got this internet connection again. And we just ask today, Father, for the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit as we study of and fellow one another. We have this in Jesus Christ, our Lord, of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning again, everybody. Before we get started, a couple of reminders. Uh, the first one is is that um, today is the Master second Farley. Sunday, but we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. That's why you have these cups in front of you. Pastor uh, um, breaking up. And I guess, what's that? You're breaking up. <laughs> yeah, we're on a bad internet connection. I do have the, the password. <laughs> oh, you do? Okay. We're going to try to get a better one. We're uh, looking to get a better connection right now, but right now we're sitting on here on a hot spot. That's why I'm breaking up. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, so we're going to do our best we can. Apologize so much for the fact that we are not on a really good internet connection this morning. We're going to do the best we can. Again, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the end of service today. At this time, I would just like you to turn to the book of Gospel of John, chapter 7, and we'll get started. John chapter 7. We're going to begin this morning in verse uh, verse 16. John 7, 16. Yep, it's John 7, 16 to 24. But we're going to begin in verse 16. All right, let's do it. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed. and You all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses will not be broken. Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. That's the title of today's message, to judge with righteous judgment. As we go through this morning, I'm going to set things up one piece at a time so you can see the, what the Lord is dealing with here and then what he means by judging with a righteous judgment. So to begin, um, if you look at verse 17, you notice there that uh, we cited this last week. This is a principle that he gave us last Sunday. It has to do with how do we know whether the teaching from the Lord is from God or from himself. And if you look again at verse 17, he tells us how that how we do that. If anyone is willing to do God's will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. So if you don't know whether Jesus' teaching is from God or not, it means that you need to start doing his will, because when you do God's will, then you'll see more and more 
the depth of what the Lord Jesus is teaching, what the epistles are teaching, and how it lines up with everything that we know about God from the Old Testament in particular. Because that was, remember, that's the frame of reference for the Jews here in Jerusalem, was that they were they did believe that the, 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 their God was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They did believe in the Torah. God revealed himself there, or at least should have. He revealed them, but whether or not they received it. See, that's the big issue. If they didn't know what who God was from the from the law of Moses, then they weren't going to recognize when Jesus Christ is speaking on behalf of his father because they don't know anything about his father. And so that's the that's where we were last week. But in this week, we're going to look at uh, verses, uh, really verses 19 through 24 in detail. And, and starting in verse 19, what the Lord does is he takes that that principle and then he applies it in a specific way to his audience that he's dealing with. Now, remember, he's in Jerusalem. It's during the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles. He went up late in the middle. He was he went just to teach in the temple. He had been to Jerusalem before in chapter five. That was when he healed the paralytic on the Sabbath. And that is where they started persecuting him for doing something on the Sabbath. And then it, and then it got revved up because he then said, listen, my father's still working and I'm still working. And he, tied, he said, I am basically the father's son. And that was it raised him even more. So that's the climate that Jesus steps back into. There's a lot of hostility, a lot of uh, suspicion. You know, most of the people uh, do not believe that he's the Messiah and so forth. So here here we have people that thought they knew the law of Moses. I mean, they prided themselves on that. We're going to see again today, just in a minute, actually, in chapter five, that that the Lord knew that. And actually, even back in chapter five, pointed out that they were not believing even in the in the law of Moses. They thought they knew it. As a matter of fact, they over and over again used what they thought of as the law of Moses as a club to intimidate people. And that was the strategy of the Pharisees and the high priests. You know, later on, when um, when Jesus heals a blind man, they're going to say to him, well, who, who heals you? Who do you think he is? And he's going to say he's a prophet. And and they would say, no, he's not. And they, and they would say, you don't know anything about the Torah. How can you be instructing us? So they use that as the basis to intimidate people, keep people in their place. They used it that way against Jesus over and over again. Plus, Jesus came right back at them and very similar most of the time with what he's saying today, targeting the root of the problem, which was that they were not judging according to the righteousness of God. And we're going to see more of what that is all about today. As a matter of fact, please turn now to the Gospel of John, go backwards to chapter 5, starting in verse 45. This was the last time Jesus was in Jerusalem. This was in response to them wanting to kill him. But that's so funny why, why he says it again, that he's, you're seeking to kill me. And they say, who's seeking to kill you? I mean, it's, it's, it'd be humorous if it wasn't so sad, because the leaders have already made it clear. And remember, we saw already that no one wanted to speak about him publicly because they knew that the rulers hated him and wanted to kill him. And so um, but in any event, they kind of they kind of got triggered by that and called them, you know, you have a demon. In any event, let's look at John chapter five, verse forty five. Do not think that I, this is Jesus speaking, will accuse you before the father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. So in other words, they, they, they were thinking that they follow the law of Moses. That's what the Lord wants. And that's going to keep us in good stead with the Lord. But then they hear from Jesus in verse 36 that there's somebody who accuses you. It's not me. It's Moses. And that must have blown their mind because they thought Moses of all people was the one who was that they were they were uh, fulfilling honoring and they weren't at all. Look at verse 46. How do we know that? For if you believed Moses, if you believed in what the Lord revealed in Genesis and Leviticus and, and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, if you believe those things in Exodus, you would believe Jesus because he wrote about Jesus. This is this is pretty um, profound, basic uh, information about the connection between the, the, the Old Testament scriptures and the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes these connections again and again and again, saying that. Basically, what he's saying is that everything that came before, all of the writings, 
all of the all of the religious rituals, all of those things pointed to me. That's what he's saying. He, he would say later on about Abraham. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And and so again and again and again, Jesus and this Paul will do the same thing. Peter will do the same thing. We'll take from the Old Testament and say this was always talking about Jesus. So and since that's true and since Jesus is the son of, of the father, then if they didn't recognize him, if they didn't believe him, then the problem started with them not believing in the Torah that they put all their pride and hopes on. Again, verse 46, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings and they didn't, how will you believe my words? You see, how do we know that they didn't believe in his writings? Well, first of all, they didn't they didn't accept Jesus. They weren't willing to do his will. They didn't think the teaching was from God. They thought Jesus was speaking of himself. And this was just proof. And they didn't believe in the writings of Moses. So they, they set their hope, really their eternal hope, their hope for, for their kingdom on Moses and what he wrote. But they never honored the authority of the law of Moses. Just like the issue, it, when Jesus was, is in the temple here in chapter 7, is the issue, what's his authority to teach? And they never recognized Moses' authority, ultimately. And we know that because they didn't obey it. Okay? I mean, if you, if, you, if you recognize and honor authority, then you're going to be obedient to what the authority says. If, you, if you're not obedient to that authority... And when I say authority, I mean the one who is selected by God to speak his word. If you don't believe that and, and you and so you don't recognize their authority, then you won't be obedient to what they're saying. So that's how he knew. They refused to obey the law of Moses. Let's go back now to chapter seven. Our passage today, please go to verse 19. John chapter seven, verse 19. Chapter 5, he says, you didn't believe in the writings of Moses, and that's why you don't believe my words. Look at verse 19, chapter 7. Did not Moses give you the law? That's going to be the specific application. Jesus is going to talk about elements of the law today. And he's going to say that you, you, you do not accept the principles of the law because you don't carry them out. Notice, did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. That's a strong statement when you think about it. Here we have Jewish people set apart, given the law of Moses, priding themselves in the law of Moses. The, the sacrifices that they participate in um, came from the law of Moses. Abraham, what they know about the father there that they claim, came from the, from the writings of Moses. And yet notice what Jesus says. None of you carries out the law. What an indictment. None of you carries out the law. And then, why do you seek to kill me? Now, they did, one of the big reasons right here, it's right in front of us, that, they, that it's obvious that they didn't carry out the law is real simple. In the next statement, Jesus asked them, why do you seek to kill me? You see, exhibit number one in how we know that they didn't carry out the law is they were seeking to murder an innocent man, Jesus. And uh, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, thou shall not murder. And so that that right there, it was it was clear that they were not carrying out the law of Moses. They had another agenda besides that. They had they had really they had corrupted the law of Moses. They had set it aside. They had come up with their own rules to supersede it. And that was becoming really obvious here in the Gospel of John as we see their interactions with Jesus. As a matter of fact, some people had wanted to kill him ever since his last visit to Jerusalem. Let's go back to John chapter five. Look at verse 5. Back to John chapter 5. We're going to revisit this episode that stimulated this hatred for Jesus among the leadership. Look at John chapter 5, verse 5 again. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and knew that he had already been sick a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. 
Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. We're going to see today that this was actually the most appropriate day for Jesus to have healed this man. Quite different, of course, from what the Pharisees and the leaders thought about. And what that, was, that, that tells us is that they didn't understand at all the purpose of the Sabbath. They understood how to legally um, you know, apply rules to the Sabbath, but they didn't understand the heart of it. They, they were not judging the Sabbath with a righteous judgment. Okay, so we'll see more of that. Now, it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath, and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. By the way, you won't find that in the law of Moses, that it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. See, when it says do no work, it means do no work. It means don't do your job, don't make money. It doesn't say that a person who was healed can, can now, cannot take their pallet that they had walk home. I mean, it was ridiculous. And if you think about it, what kind of a God are you worshiping that is going to set a, set a rule that says this man cannot go home because it's the Sabbath, even though my son healed him? So that they didn't understand at all what the Sabbath was really all about. We'll see that. Then in verse 11, he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. And afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews. That was it was Jesus who had made him well for this reason. For what reason? Jesus made him well, but it was on the Sabbath. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them. My father is working until now and I myself am working. Now, of course, they took that to, to be the ultimate in blasphemy because they just think this is another guy, another itinerant teacher trying to you know, contradict the law of Moses. He's saying now that God is his father. But the fact of the matter is that God was his father. And as a matter of fact, the father created the Sabbath, gave the Sabbath. And since Jesus and the father are one, then if the father is working on the Sabbath, then that means Jesus understands the real principle. After all, I mean, here, here's an interesting way to look at it. You know, back in those days, you were supposed to work seven days a week as a farmer and so forth. So it was it was rather um, radical in a way that the Lord said, you will have one day where you do no work. And while, you know, the, the Pharisees turn that around and make it into a legal requirement, what he's really saying is, is that I'm going to give you a day of rest when you don't have to work and I will provide for you. That's that's what the Lord was really saying. I'm going to give you a day of freedom, day of rest and don't worry about your job or anything else. I'm going to provide for you on that day. That was the real meaning of the Sabbath. So let me ask you a question. If he's saying you cease from work, I provide for you. Who's doing the work that day? God is, right? So it's no surprise at all that Jesus says, my father's working and I'm working. He said, I'm the, I'm the source of life. I'm the source of everything. I was the one that when you received manna in the desert, you know, I was the one who provided it. So it's ridiculous that you would think that I would stop working because this, you're on a day of rest. Verse 18, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, by the way, in their mind. We're going to see how this was one of the most wonderful ways to celebrate the Sabbath was what Jesus did when he healed this man. There's a principle there. There's a principle Jesus will bring out in another gospel when he says, Listen, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, he understood. He got it right. He understood the meaning behind it. He wasn't breaking the Sabbath at all, but they thought he was because they, they had their certain restrictions, by the way, that, again, went way beyond anything that you could find actually in the law of Moses. OK, so they so they thought he was breaking it. They, they, they said he is not only breaking the Sabbath, but he's also calling God his own father. Well, that is true making himself equal with God, and that's true, too. And it's interesting, because here they are accusing the Lord of being a lawbreaker. Now, again, this shows you for sure that they didn't, have, they didn't accept anything that he said about himself. All right? um, 
because he is Lord of the Sabbath. So he can't, he's not breaking the law. He gave the law of the Sabbath. They accused him, though, of being a lawbreaker. At the same time, they were the ones who were breaking the law themselves. That should sound familiar. It's called hypocrisy. We see it all the time, by the way. We see it a lot. The more self-righteous somebody is, the more hypocritical they become. Why? Because they're pulling out this high standard and they're making everybody meet it. And the fact of the matter is they can't meet it themselves. And that's just the principle of fallen humanity. And yet that they put themselves higher and higher and higher on a pedestal. And they're going to be actually breaking their own rules more and more and more. If you think about it. And yet and same thing with religion. You know, with religion brings you this picture of how you're supposed to be. And uh, and that would be great if it could be done. See, the law is holy, but man isn't. And so that standard is something that we don't have the right to put it on other people. We're supposed to use it ourselves, right? Take take out the, the log in your own eye, and then you'll find the splinter to help your brother out. So hypocrisy was what we're seeing here. They accused him of being a lawbreaker, yet they were the ones who were actually breaking the law. And he called them out on that. And when they, when, he, when they denied that this was true, they made like he was crazy. Look at verse 20. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel. Now, when they said you have a demon, it didn't necessarily mean that they actually thought that he was possessed by a demon here. But you see, but they associated somebody who had a demon with somebody who was acting crazy. If you think about the demons that that Jesus um, uh, expelled from different people and you look at how they were behaving at the time, you can see that that connection was made a lot of sense. What they were really saying is you're out of your mind. You know, how can you say anybody's seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. We've already seen that deed this morning. It is the is healing the man who was, let me get this on there. The one deed was, we saw in chapter 5, healing a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. By the way, that word marvel, you know, it means, it, on the one hand, it does mean that they were astonished. But it also, in the context, they reacted very unfavorably to it. You know, you can marvel at something and still have a totally negative reaction to it. And that's really what it was. I mean, they, they couldn't they couldn't help but realize that, that something unusual had occurred, but they could either embrace it or reject it. It's the same thing when Jesus healed Lazarus and brought him back from the dead. There was a split. Remember, people now, they all, in a sense, marvel. This is something astonishing. But they came out of it with totally opposite reactions. You know, some said, this is, you know, I believe in you as my Lord. The other one said, this is really bad. We're going to go to the Pharisees and let them know about this. This is a problem. So you have one act, blessing, problem. You see it? So that that marveling doesn't necessarily mean that they bought into anything about what Jesus was trying to teach. Look at verse 22. Let's keep going. John chapter 7, verse 22. We're going to see Moses come back. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision. Not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. Now, Jesus brought this up on his own. They hadn't been asking him about circumcision. He is the one who is bringing it up because he's going to teach them something that they really needed to understand. And so they're talking about the law of Moses. He knows already that they wanted to kill him because they thought he broke the law of Moses. But now he's going to use an illustration from the same law of Moses to get at that point that it's the meaning of the Sabbath. It's the meaning of the law that you really are supposed to concentrate on. Notice how he, notice how he moves. Notice verse 23. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, let me, let me start in verse 22 to get the whole, the whole thought pattern here. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision. That was true, but as the parentheses say, it was not the first time that the Lord had taught them to, to circumcise their, um, their male babies. He says, not because it was from Moses, but from the fathers. We're going to go back in a minute to the book of Genesis, and we're going to see the real introduction of circumcision. It predated the law. Everything about Abraham had to have predated the law by hundreds of years. 
Okay, and so and so um, if he sets the the prototype for anything, it means that whatever that is is not under the law ultimately. So so faith and justification by faith has nothing to do with the law. Circumcision, okay, which was which came four hundred years before the law, is something that that is not governed by the law but adopted into it, and that's what he's saying here. He has given you circumcision, Moses has, not because it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. This was a practice. We'll see why in a minute. But they had no problem circumcising a man, usually a baby, sometimes a man, um, if, he was, if he was an initiate into the, into the Jewish religion, usually a baby. It, so they didn't have a problem with that. They had to think about it. Okay, so, so here's an action that you're performing on the Sabbath. And, and, and it's just so is healing. Healing is an action that you're performing on the Sabbath, right? You, you, you approve of one, you condemn the other. That's he's setting up that, uh, that comparison for them to start thinking about it. Maybe we don't really know as much as we ought to know about, we haven't thought this through, about the law and its real purpose and how you're supposed to honor it. Verse 23, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses will not be broken. Are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? And then the punchline, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Appearances can, as we know, be very deceiving. If you think about um, what impresses the natural man, what impresses Young people, uh, not putting them down, but because they don't have any experience yet in things. And if they see what, what is what is presented to them as holy, right, then they're going to be impressed by that. You know, again, my frame of reference is growing up as a Catholic. And I can remember how and it was it was I, I didn't invent this. Everybody around me was like worshiping the priest, worshiping a bishop, Um all the trappings of we thought that was what it meant to be holy to have incense in the air when you were, when you were in church and so forth. We thought all of that meant holy. Why? Because we were judging according to appearances. We've been taught to. You see, and that's the same thing with the Jews of Jesus' day. They had been taught to look at appearances. You know, are they tithing the right amount? You know, are they fasting on the right day and so forth? Right. They, and okay, so and, and the rabbi said it's okay to circumcise, then it's okay to circumcise. Rabbis apparently said it's not okay to heal a man. By the way, they never would have said that because nobody could heal a man. <laughs> I mean, Jesus is unique. If you think if you think about it just for a minute, they would you would see ridiculousness. Of course, there's no rule that says you can't heal a man of leprosy or of blindness or of paralysis. They don't. They didn't need a law because nobody could do it anyway. So in any event, again, judge not according to parents, but judge with righteous judgment. That's that's the key phrase of the day. What does it mean to judge with righteous judgment? Now, to a lot of people, that's a really loaded statement. People after John 316, probably the, the second most popular scripture for the man on the street is judge not. Lest you be judged, right? They use it, by the way, most of the time to just allow them to continue on their sinful lifestyle. Don't judge me, right? But yet here we have the exact opposite. We have judge. Not only that, with righteous judgment. And again, again, the, the world, the unbeliever, recoils from that word righteous. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you've ever studied the life of Martin Luther, you know that, that he, was, he, he was totally petrified of the righteousness of God. And I guess, well, he should be. When you think about it, God is holy and we are not. I mean, that's the that's the starting point for understanding holiness and righteousness is what you are, what I'm not. And so and, and, and so that uh, that 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 brings up the ultimate tragedy of being human, the ultimate, um, in a sense, con- condemnation about humanity, which is we're not righteous. And so and so for that, for many, many people. To be told that there's a righteous judgment around the corner is something that they're afraid of, they reject, they don't want anything to do with. So this is a really, in a sense, a really loaded expression. Judge with righteous judgment. 
And yet what we're going to see is that it's the total opposite of what the world thinks that that means. You know, they, they may think that they may think of a, of a court case where somebody is judged to be guilty. They may think of God judging people. And and by the way, they had great role models for that. Right? That wasn't at all what he's talking about. As a matter of fact, he's talking about the opposite of that. The opposite of that idea that you're self-righteous and you look down on other people and you judge them. He's talking about the exact opposite here. And we'll, we'll see that. We'll get there. Okay, so he brings up the subject of circumcision. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes on that because notice what he said. He said that in verse 22, the circumcision, Moses gave it to you, but it's not from Moses, but from the fathers. When he says that, he's ultimately he's talking about Abraham, and he's talking about something that happened with Abraham that's really that has a, that has set the tone for everything that came afterwards. That the Lord established a covenant, an agreement, all right, is what we call an unconditional. That's the best kind of covenant, by the way, when it comes to God. Unconditional covenants, which means that I will bless you, period. But there's nothing after that. All right. That, by the way, that supersedes a covenant that came after. Namely, what? The Mosaic covenant. By the way, that was not unconditional. That was conditional. If you do the right things, I'll bless you. If you do the wrong things, I'll curse you. Now, that's strong language, but that's the law of Moses. You can read it. You can read it anywhere. In Ezekiel, I mean, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. All of that says the same thing. Choose life that you may live. It's a choice. But but the covenant that the Lord established with Abraham had no conditions on Abraham's side. Just the Lord. His covenant was, I'm going to do all these things to you. It's kind of like a will, right? Will where somebody says, all right, I'm going to give you my home when I die. I'm going to, I have a million dollars and I'm going to split it between my two kids. So there's nothing in that will hopefully, that, that has any conditions on it. Sometimes there are, but, but ideally, right, a gift is a gift. See, so an unconditional covenant, the covenant that the Lord established with Abraham was a gift, a pure gift. Abraham, the first Hebrew, by the way, he wasn't Jewish. You might say, well, of course he was. No. You see, to be Jewish meant to be from Judea, right? Well, Judea as such didn't exist when Abraham was alive. He was the first Hebrew. See, that, that, that's, that's the new race that the Lord established. And he was the first one. So again, he's the, as it were, the federal head of the Hebrew people. And so whatever the Lord established with Abraham, that played out. And that, was, that set the precedent for all the Jewish people that came later, all the Hebrews that came later. So the Lord established a covenant with Abraham, and it was promises, and that was it. He promised to make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. That's the covenant. That's part of it. He said, as a matter of fact, he said that one day all the families of the earth will be blessed by your seed, Abraham. That's the covenant. It's it's an amazing, um, all comprehensive. He talked about his own people. That will come from his loins. It talked about all the families of the earth. And that's that's the covenant. And by the way, why am I bringing this up with connection with circumcision? Simple. Circumcision is the sign of this covenant. And again, this was something also that was totally lost by the Jewish leaders in Jesus' day. They saw it as a requirement, whereas the Lord established it as a sign, a celebration, an indication that, yes, you too are are in the uh, family of who will be blessed according to the covenant of Abraham. Abraham was also told by the Lord that there would be this land that I would that would give to your descendants in perpetuity. That's the promised land. All of that was unconditional. All and all of that that's what the what, what circumcision was a sign of. It was it was supposed to be something that every every Jewish boy could look at, not that he'd be looking at it, but could 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 consider and say I too above the covenant of Abraham. It was to be something that was to be a blessing and celebrated. That's the meaning of circumcision. Let's check that out. Let's go to Genesis chapter 17. Now you may wonder, we're going to do more of this. Why are we, why are we going back to Genesis? 
Why are we in the Old Testament today? Well, and the answer is, is because Jesus is telling the, the, the Jewish people of his day that you're not keeping the law of Moses. You're not honoring the authority of Moses and the, and the Torah. And, and, and so the, the way this was revealed or, or made obvious was the way they handle certain things like circumcision, like the Sabbath, like the law in general. Okay, so so the only the thing you always want to do is, especially with the law, is you want to go back and actually look at what the law said. Okay, not not somebody's interpretation or addition, um, but what the law actually said. And that's what's so great about having the Old Testament, by the way, as we can go back to the records. You know, we can see we can see all the genealogies in the Old Testament. We can see exactly what the law said and didn't say. And so forth. There's so many great things in the Old Testament. This is one of them. Look at Genesis chapter 17, verse 6. I will make, now this is the Lord again speaking to Abraham. By the way, he repeated the covenant. It's interesting. You know, if you get bad news, you remember it. You know, you'll only be told once, you know, um, you have cancer. You don't have to keep reminding me of it. But, but it's funny. Blessings, promises. We need to keep being reminded of that. Isn't that true? We get out into the world and we forget who we are. We forget that we're a citizen of heaven. We forget that we're the adopted children of the living God. We, if we forget that, we, that, that things that boggle the imagination have been promised to us. We forget that we have a promised inheritance. We do. And so the Lord has to repeat. And the same thing with, with Abraham. The Lord had to repeat the promises that he was going to make. Look at verse 6 of chapter 17. Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish, there it is again, my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. Mosaic covenant, by the way, not everlasting. It's not. It, 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 for a period of time when the Lord had established the, the law of Moses for his people. That period ended when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, by the way. Um, not, so that's not, a, that's not a permanent covenant. Matter of fact, there will be another covenant called the New Covenant, which will be an unconditional covenant in any event. But this one was also unconditional. Verse 7, the Lord said to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. What was the, what's the nature of it? You'll be exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations. Kings will come forth from you. And, and that will be an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. Notice in verse eight, I will give to you. There's no conditions on that. By the way, this is a promise that the Lord kept repeating down the generations to the descendants of Abraham. They too had to keep, had to be reminded over and over again. Jacob had to be reminded. David had to be reminded. The people of, of the time of Isaiah, they needed to be reminded again and again that this, this is a gift. It's an eternal possession. And the Lord, the Lord is, as uh, as established or protected the Jewish people um, so that he will one day completely fulfill that. It's unconditional. It's going to happen. Verse 9. And God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you will keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. Notice it's a sign. It's an indication. If I could put it that way, it's a badge of honor. It's a, it's a symbol of, of blessing. Okay? And you will be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old. Notice how exact that is. It doesn't say a week or two, right? What does it say? Eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. 
That's part of the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham. It superseded, came before the covenant of Moses, Mosaic covenant. Every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who was born in the house or a servant who was bought with money from any foreigner, even they should be, will be circumcised. So that's Abraham. That's the covenant that the Lord established. And then hundreds of years later, then we have after the people had been um, uh, ser- servants and slaves in Egypt. And then the Lord, through Moses, brought them out of slavery. And then he established the law and he, and he, and he on Mount Sinai he gave it to Moses. And then they're part of that, too. When the Lord gave the law of Moses to Moses, he also included circumcision in that. All right. But it, but it, it, it predated it. He was just bringing that in. Right. So he didn't he didn't need to. In other words, if he hadn't brought that in, they still would have been circumcising their children. Right. Because that was, hey, it was all the way back to Abraham. That's the sign of this covenant. The promises God has made. But he did. The Lord brought it in. And again, it's very precise. Look at Leviticus chapter 12, verse one. This is another passage talking about circumcision. Leviticus chapter 12, verse 1. So that there's a righteous judgment to be made about circumcision, by the way. The, the Lord, even in the Old Testament, would, would, would shift from the physical to the heart. He would say, I want you to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Which meant, I want you to set that apart for me. And that's actually, you know, um, the ultimate in terms of circumcision. Right? There's a physical one, that's fine. But there's also circumcision of the heart. And that's the righteousness of the law, by the way. But, but there is a principle there. Look at Leviticus chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, when a woman gives birth and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. As in the days of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. Verse eight, uh, verse three. On the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Again, very precise. The male child had to be circumcised on the eighth day. The eighth day is an incredible day in the Bible. Jesus was risen from the dead on the eighth day. Okay? So... That's why it had to be exact, because it reminded them of newness. Now, here's the thing. Baby can be born on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday or a Sunday. In other words, one seventh of the time, the baby was born on a Sabbath. Right. One seventh, not not everybody, but, you know, a fair percentage. I don't know what that is. Thirteen percent or something. Right. And so when that happened. What did, what did the, the law of Moses specify? When did it have to be? When did they have to be circumcised? The eighth day. So if they're born on the Sabbath, guess what the eighth day also is? A Sabbath, right? Because the Sabbath is the first day, and you go through the seventh day, and that's the week, and then you have another Sabbath, which meant when did he have to be circumcised? On a Sabbath. Had to be, right? The law of Moses is very exact. So what is the Sabbath? Well, quite simply, the Sabbath was a day of rest. It was also given in the law of Moses. So you, this, by the way, is a field day for the legalists, right? I mean, if you, if you, one way to understand it is to think about the, the cases that go before the Supreme Court of the land. What are the cases that go before the Supreme Court? Well, I know this isn't a civics class, but basically it's when lower courts can't agree on, on which law takes precedence, right? So they kick it up to the Supreme Court and they make the final decision. This takes precedence over that. So it's a field day for the legalists, but, 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 but see, the, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's not a legalist. That wasn't the intention. And, and, and if you understand the meaning of both circumcision and the Sabbath, you will have no difficulty at all with this. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Back to the law of Moses. Back to now, the well, looking at the Sabbath now, what it's all about. 
Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you. By the way, to keep it holy means to keep it set apart from all the other days. To be sanctified is to be set apart as holy to the Lord. Again, verse 12, observe the Sabbath day is a command and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Verse 13, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. That's the meaning. That the Lord wanted us as people to rest, rest in trusting him, rest in the fact that God has delivered them from the bondages of their life. Look at verse 15. As you rest, verse 15, what are you going to think about? You shall remember what? That you were slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there by mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Therefore, it says, this is the reason why something happened. Why did the Lord your God command you to observe the Sabbath day? So that you could remember that you once were slave and the Lord freed you. So observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How do you do that? Well, this isn't complicated. We'll just take Deuteronomy at its word. How do you observe the Sabbath by not doing any work, any labor. Now, the, 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 the righteousness of it was you don't have to work today. You have a day off, as it were. That's a positive. A legalist will always spin it into a negative, right? You can't do any work. You, you can't pick your nose. You can't light a match. You can't, you know, all, I mean, seriously. That's what legalists do, right? No, the principle, the heart of it, the meaning of it, the righteousness of it, I'm allowing you to rest for a day. It's a day of rest. That's how you observe it. Don't do your job on that day. And then the second thing, as you're not, now that you can, now you have this freedom, now I want you to remember. I want you to remember that when you were slave, the Lord freed you. So what is the meaning, the righteousness of the Sabbath? Rest and freedom. Rest from your labor, freedom from your bondage. That's the meaning of the Sabbath. Sabbath. Rest from labor, freedom from bondage. The Lord set apart the seventh day of the week as a blessing for his people. Blessing. The blessing of rest. The blessing of freedom. Because after all, as Jesus would say, the Sabbath was made for man. It was for our benefit. It was all, it was something in there for us. It was a blessing for man. What was in it? A day of refreshment day of rest and a day of freedom. That's the meaning of the Sabbath. Rest, refreshment, and freedom. In other words, the Lord's saying, take a day off from your job. I will cover you. I will take care of whatever needs you have that day. And you are no longer a slave. You're free. That's the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath ultimately is all about freedom from bondage. Freedom from the bondage of slavery but also freedom from the bondage of toil, right? And and this was an amazing way in which he said about his people. I mean, if you think about after the fall, one of the things that the Lord said to Adam was, you shall earn your bread by hard labor. And that certainly was the way the people of the world did it. And yet now his chosen people that he rescued from slavery and has set apart and has established what it means to be righteous. He says, for you, you don't have to do that every day. I'm going to give you a day of rest. I'm going to free you from the bondage of slavery, and I'm going to free you from the bondage of toil. It's the Lord freeing people from bondage. 
That's the meaning of the Sabbath. That's the heart of it. That's the righteousness of it. Just like the real meaning of circumcision was a seal of the covenant between the Lord and Abraham. The seal of righteousness. This is the this is again the seal of circumcision. Righteousness. This, this is the meaning of it, which is faith, not works. The covenant between the Lord and Abraham was based on the faith of Abraham, not any works that Abraham accomplished. We now, interestingly enough, Gentiles, everybody but Jews, we weren't under the law of Moses either. Where do we get our precedent from? Guess who? Abraham. Because <laughs> he, was, he, he, was, uh, he was saved, as it were. He was justified as a Gentile. <laughs> he hadn't been circumcised yet. He hadn't become a Hebrew yet. In any event, it's the same principle throughout the ages. Righteousness is by faith, not of works. All right, let's go back. Again, to John chapter 7, our portion today, look at verse 23 now of John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 23. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses shall not be broken, are you angry with me? Because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So back to that Jewish baby who was born on the Sabbath. Remember, it's easy to get caught up in appearances. Think about I think about people getting married. And I think about how you can get all wrapped up in the appearances of it. Right, it's so easy to do. We all all did it to a certain extent, all of us who got married. That's not the meaning of marriage, right? It's not, it's not really like whether the whether the bride bridesmaids and the grooms match perfectly on their colors. Uh, your marriage is doomed unless that happens, you know. That's the appearance. That's fine as far as it goes, but there's a meaning. Don't get caught up in the appearances. You see, for the legalist, there's an appearance that there's a conflict between the circumcision, the law of circumcision, the law of Moses. But guess what? All of that disappears if you judge according to the righteousness of the law, the meaning of the law, the purpose of the law, the heart of the Lord in it. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 3. We're going to come back to John, don't worry. Look at Romans 8, 3. Romans 8, 3, one of these passages, verse 4, that the King James nails and the New American Standard falls flat. Oh, well, that happens. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Why? For a purpose. So that, again, this is the translation of the King James, the righteousness of the law, what might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That's the idea, the righteousness of the law, not the appearances of the law, not the letter of the law, but the heart of the law, the spirit of the law. Okay, back to John 7, 23, and we'll finish. John 7, 23. Got to bring this all together now in verse 24. We're going to sum things up. This whole idea of judging with righteous judgment. Now look at John 7, 23. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me? Do you want to kill me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And what does it mean to judge with righteous judgment? I'll tell you the first thing, perhaps the the way to, to really characterize it that's most effective. To judge with righteous judgment is to be the exact opposite of a Pharisee. That's what it means to righteous to judge with a righteous judgment. Look at Luke 11. Look at Luke 11, chapter 40, chapter 11, verse 42. Luke 11, 42. 
Pharisees were always judging according to appearances. Jesus said to him one time, you know, like a whitewashed tomb. The outside, you look beautiful, but inside, you're full of dead man's bones. See, that's, that's the difference between appearance and a righteous judgment. Luke eleven forty two. But woe to you, Pharisees. You pay the tithe. Here's the appearance now. You pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, yet you disregard justice. Here's the heart. Here's the righteousness of the law. Here's how to judge with a righteous judgment. You disregard justice and the love of God. That's how you judge with a righteous judgment, with the love of God in your heart, with understanding that the law can be all summed up with what? Love the Lord your God with all your mind and heart and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's five books of the Bible, the Torah, that that present um, the law of Moses, actually four of them do. That's a lot of material. So now it's great to be a scholar on it, but at the end of the day, guess what? The Lord boils it all down to just two things. One thing, really, right? Love. love the Lord. If you love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and everything in there about the Lord and your relationship with the Lord is covered. The, the, the sacrifices and so forth, covered. Not, being, not, not worshiping idols. If you love your neighbor as yourself, then the rest of it's covered. Right? Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, commit adultery. If you love somebody as yourself, you're not going to do any of those things. That's the righteousness of the law. That's judging with a righteous judgment. Again, woe to you, Pharisees. You pay tithe of mint and rue and every kind of forgotten herb, but you disregard justice and the love of God. These are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Judging a righteous judgment is to embrace the weightier provisions, justice and mercy and faithfulness. It means you understand the heart of your father, but not a mighty man boast in his, in his might or a rich man boast in his riches, but that he knows and understands me. Paul, I, I want to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to, to judge with a righteous judgment means you understand that God made the Sabbath for man and not the other way around. The Sabbath... God's, God used it as a tool to bless man, provide rest and freedom. Is to know that a man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years was anything but free, anything but at rest. So, so that there is no better day, right? To, to, to take a man who's been in bondage to paralysis for 38 years and free him. That's the meaning of the Sabbath. That's the message. That's the heart of it. Freedom and rest. And the Lord said, I'm going to take this person who hasn't had freedom or rest in 38 years, and I'm going to give it to him on the Sabbath. There's no better day to do it. To judge with a righteous judgment is to realize that a daughter of Abraham, who Satan had bound for 18 long years, ought to be released from that bondage on the Sabbath day of all days. To judge with a righteous judgment means to know that it's lawful to do good on on the Sabbath, not harm. To save a life, not to kill. What did Jesus do on the Sabbath? He did good. He saved the life. What did the what did the Pharisees do on the Sabbath? They sought to kill him and persecute him. Hmm. That's not judging with a righteous judgment. To know that the Lord desires compassion and not sacrifice. And finally, to know that the law can be summed up in a single word, love. That love is the fulfillment of the law. If you want to judge with a righteous judgment, then you love as the fulfillment of the law. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you today for bringing us through to a hopefully a better understanding of your heart, better understanding of the purpose of the law, better understanding of what you really meant when you established circumcision and the, and, and the Sabbath for the Jewish people. And we also know that this same principle applies for our lives, that too often we know that we've fallen into the trap of judging by appearances, by the letter of the law, and and leaving out the reality, the meaning, the heart, the spirit of the principle, what you're trying to accomplish. Help us to, uh, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, not fall into those traps, but instead to have the righteousness of the law fulfilled in us by the Spirit. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. By the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, let's now celebrate the Lord's Supper together.
In the book of Romans, in chapter 7, we learn that we also were freed by the death of Christ. We were made to die to the law. We were freed from the bondage of the law, the bondage of sin, the bondage of death, or the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a purpose for that, too, that we might bear fruit for God. We've been released from the law. We've died to the law. We already have. It bounded us, and the Lord released us from it. And now we're able to serve in a newness, a newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. So as we, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, let us celebrate that freedom of being released from the bondage of the law and freed into the spirit and the new life of service. Because, because the Lord's Supper is a time for remembering, just like the Sabbath was a time for remembering. Recalling that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his body for us on the cross. A time to reflect and recall that his blood was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's a, that's a release from bondage too. A great bondage, sin. And it established a new covenant also with God and his people. Let's bring that all to remembrance. The freedom, the redemption to the, to the Lamb of God who sacrificed for the sin of the world. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Lord's death. Why would we proclaim a death? Because it freed up people from bondage. It freed people from the bondage of sin, from the bondage of death and the law. It was a new covenant. That new covenant was established because of the blood of Christ. That new covenant was a covenant of blessing. It was the good news. It was the fact that we have been, by believing in Christ, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. As often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we, are, we should proclaim that. We do proclaim the Lord's death. If Again, if we're celebrating according to the meaning of the Lord's Supper, if we're making a righteous judgment about the meaning of the body and the blood, the bread and the cup. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you again today for bringing us all together. Thank you, Father, for helping us get our, our minds off the appearances of life and onto the real truth of it. Understand that there's really a new life, that there's a life lived under the sun, and then there's life from above. And every one of your children now lives in that life from above because we're citizens of heaven. And again, Father, help us to keep that, preserve that in our hearts in the same way that, the, that, the, that you asked the Jewish people to observe and keep the Sabbath. Let us keep these the truths about who you made us to be. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Join us again on Thursday as we get together and continue great study in the book of Isaiah. We meet here live. Um, and based on what's happening with Skype today, I'm just, you know, might, might be a good idea to be here because I don't know what. You know, I feel so bad for the people out there today on Skype. I have no idea what they were able to hear or not hear. Or, and I feel bad about that. Um, but there's nothing. You know, what can we do? Right? We do the best we can. John, I heard everything perfectly. Oh, you did? Praise God, yes. All right, they heard everything. Praise the Lord. I'm so, thank you for letting me know that. We heard everything, Pastor. Thank you. Praise All the right, Lord. thank you. Thanks for letting me know. It was just your introduction, that introduction prayer that was breaking up. Just at the beginning, okay. Well, I'm glad. I was, you know, obviously I can't worry about that while I'm teaching, but it was in the back of my mind. So I'm glad that it worked out. Somebody up there likes you. You think? I think you're right. He likes us. Yeah, he likes his word, actually.
That's really what it is. All righty. <laughs> do we? After that, up to you. What, what, what are we? Oh, okay. So we'll go right after that. Are you going to stop recording? Anyway, the first thing I want to do is.